I'm Ryan, and welcome to Joni Jams, the only podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'm going to be reviewing Joni Mitchell's 1976 album, Hi Shira. Who else is excited? <laughs> so, um, just to start off for today's episode, obviously. Um, if you're listening now, you can notice that it is just me this week. Tommy is not here with me this week, um, but we will be joining back with him soon. Um, so for this week, though, I will be kind of going through this album on a solo journey, kind of fitting actually for, you know, what this album is about, the kind of things that we'll get into. Um, you know, it's going to be definitely a different type of episode this week, um, kind of being solo, but I hope you guys still will enjoy it. Um, I also wanted to start out by also saying um, I really appreciate a lot of the feedback that we've been getting, um, like on um, Apple and Spotify. I know some a lot of you guys leave ratings or I've gotten private messages with really nice things, and I just really appreciate them. And, um, you know, obviously send as many our way. You know, we love hearing from, you know, people that listen and love Joni Mitchell as well. It's a great sort of, it's a great thing. And um, today I'm so excited because we're reviewing, obviously, my, well, I don't know, this is not obviously, but it is my favorite Joni Mitchell album of all time. Oh my gosh. Okay. Also, I'm going to try to be as funny as possible. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be as funny as I as I always can be, but we'll see, we'll see. Okay, so um, this album is Joni Mitchell's eighth studio album, so, you know, if we're following along her journey, we kind of go from, you know, we were in that folky kind of era in the beginning, then we moved into, she's starting to get a band, she's starting to get a band, and then we're hissing, and boom, picture like the nuclear explosion. We are in 1976, and Joni Mitchell releases this banger official official banger i would say um and this album is i would say Joni's. i don't know it feels like her most realized concept yet it th- i think that it takes where she left off on hissing of summer lawns and fully expands it into a full landscape and that's the best way i can put it is that this album is a landscape it's a picture it's like a i don't know it's a beautiful painting like it's like a um hmm, who's someone that does kind of a cool I'm trying to think of a surrealist artist that does cool paintings, but I don't. The only surrealist I know do like really weird things. Anyways, side note. Um, but this album was written um for three through a series of three different journeys that Joni went on. Um, and I'll kind of go through each one of those. Um, I'll give short descriptions, but you know, we'll see. Um, so the first journey was in the late 1975, and it was um. And it was sort of after, so Joni Mitchell, everyone knows that, you know, her and Bob Dylan have beef, but at one point they didn't, she had, she did end up joining him on tour at the, um, Rolling Thunder review that Bob was doing with a bunch of other artists, not just him. And, um, she went on that tour and she wrote a lot of, um, the songs on Hajira during that time. Um, also at that time she started doing a lot of Coke mother, mother time. We love Joni and her Coke era. Um, because she really just goes off in all <laughs> in all forms. So she does some coke a little bit. Um, that's kind of an addiction that's going to last for a hot minute. Um, there, I think there's a story that Joni preferred to be given coke over actual payment for her concerts, which, you know, the uh, humor in that is not dead on me. Um, and then, um, another period, um, of this trip was when Joni traveled across America with two men. Um, one was a former lover from Australia. Ooh, good eye, good eye, my, good eye, good eye, my, um, 
um, okay, my Australian accent isn't great, but you get the picture. Um, and that and that trip inspired actually six of the songs on this. Um, and with those two guys, she traveled from L.A. to Maine, then back to California alone, and then, you know, went down to Florida, went through, um, oh, I think it was Georgia, the Gulf of Mexico. You know, she was getting around. I don't know. She was traveling up, up down, all around. And um, she did drive without a license during this time. Um, I don't even think that would be physically possible today. But she was driving without a license, um, staying behind truckers <laughs> because truckers are um, notoriously really good at pointing out when police cars are coming. So, you know, I guess she was smart, quick thinking over there and only drove in the daylight, of course, because, yeah. And um, during these solo journeys. OK, now I didn't know this before doing some research for this album, but. I guess if you're a big Joni fan, maybe you would know this. Um, she would be wearing wigs, a red wig and sunglasses on this journey um, to disguise herself. Um, and she had some names that she used as well as the dis- like disguises. Um, some of the names were Charlene Latimer or Joan Black. Well, <laughs> what do we think about that? I'm just going to ask the... Uh, non-existent audience here, what they would think about that. Um, I'm definitely like, hmm, why did she use random names? But, you know, I guess she's, you know, hiding. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. How could I forget this one as well? We talked about this last week on Hissing of Summer Lawns. She also did, um, she, another of the trips was also after the Hissing of Summer Lawns tour that she basically ended because of her relationship with John Guerin. She was like, okay, bye, I'm fleeing. And um, so she left the tour halfway through, Um, you know, her most artists today, actually. Um, also, also, she started talking and, you know, flirting and I guess dating. I don't know if they fully dated, but, you know, they might as well have with um, Sam Shepard, who uh, there's a few songs on here, I think, that have some, you know, Sam Shepardness in here. Definitely the opening track, um, which we'll get to. Oh, another addition that we have to talk about on this album, of course, is who joins her musically on this album which is Jaco Pastorius. Oh my God. That's me clapping. Yes. Jaco Pastorius. So excited. Everyone, everyone loves Jaco and the Joni fans. I think, I think he's definitely one of her favorite, like, like it's one of her favorite collaborators. And I think for her fans, he's definitely one of my favorites. Um, and it sort of, cause she couldn't, Jaco played the bass. And I think she really had a problem with finding a bass player that could match her, what she had going on in her head because just, you know, Joni's very outside the box thinker and Jocko was able to fulfill that. Cause he was in a band at the time. Um, I think it was, was it the weather report? Maybe I think that was his band. And, um, you know, they just started working together and slowly, but surely like, cause I think that she was just introduced like, Hey, this is some guy named Jocko and he's weird like you. And she was like, Hmm, let me try him out. So she did. And, um, you know, obviously that moved this album into a, free jazz you know like on hissing we were talking about how she's becoming looser it's a lot feeling a lot more fancy free ha 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 oh my god how old am i fancy fancy free do do i sound like i'm 95 is anyone else does anyone else listen and sometimes think that i sound like i'm like 80 years old i have this i have this dilemma in my actual life but anyways um, <laughs> i'm just making jokes with myself at this point um and, uh, you know, so last week we were talking about how much looser she becomes. And then obviously then on this week, she's, you know, on Hajira now, she's totally loose. And um, I think it fits with this idea of traveling and being on the road. You know, that's kind of 
I, I actually, I'll talk about this when we talk about Refuge of the Road, which is the closer on this album, but Refuge of the Road really goes into the whole concept of this album, which is taking refuge in, you know, uh, you know, not a, your actual home, but in the home of others, you know, in the road. Um, very Lana Del Rey ride, you know, if you get that reference. Maybe the Twinks listening will get that reference. Um, Twinks listening? Nod, nod at your own personal dispense. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the album title, though, because, you know, it's very, I think it's such a jarring but interesting word, Hygiera, Hygiera, however you want to pronounce it. And it is, um, I'll read a very well-written description of it so you guys can, uh, you know, think I'm a scholar here. Um, and it is a, a, a Arabic word. Um, which can be spelled differently than the way it's spelled in the album. And it means departure or exodus, usually referring to the migration of the Islamic prophet Muhammad um, and his companions from Mecca to Medina in 622. I'm guessing 622 AD. Um, Joni stated that she chose this title because she was looking for a word that meant to run away with honor. And then she found it while reading a dictionary and was drawn to the dangling J, like Aja, and it's leaving dream and no blame. Well, you know, I would love to say that I believe that story, but it sounds just like a little too Hollywood for me. You know what I mean? Like thinking that Joni was just like flipping through a dictionary and was like, here it is. Seems a little unlikely, but you know, she is weird like that. I I mean, I I, I could see it. I could see it. Um, I don't know. It kind of sounds like one of those stories that like MGM agents would put out about stars. Like she was discovered in a laundromat singing and she became an instant sensation, you know? I don't know. Maybe I... Well, there goes to the 80-year-old again. But, you know, y'all get what I mean. There's that southern accent I don't have kicking in. Um, so, yes. Um, and I really like the title. I actually think it's a very... It doesn't, you know... It says a lot. And I think that escaping with honor, that really goes into, you know, what this album... Like I was talking about. She is escaping with honor. She's escaping from... I think a lot of this album personally has to do with escaping from the persona that was or is Joni Mitchell. I think she was really fed up with who people thought of her as, you know, because even in this time, I think people were still referring to her as the folk, the folk goddess who has flowers in her hair and is, you know, introspective. And I think she was just like, so wanting to escape from everything, fame, that, from relationships, you know, John Guerin and Sam Shepard and all these men that she's having issues with. Um, and Joni described this album, she said, and I quote, wow, really deep research here. She was really inspired. There's a feeling of restlessness throughout it, the sweet loneliness of solitary. I suppose a lot of people could have written my other songs, but I feel the songs on Hygiera could only come from me. That kind of makes me emotional. Is anyone else crying right now? Who else is crying right now? Because that makes me a little emotional. I have to be honest. Because I think she's so right. Because these are these songs are so well written. So amazing. And we'll get into the, you know, the meat of it. But she's so right. Like, any, I, you could see both sides now being written by anyone. But if you were to think Joni Mitchell, I think this album perfectly is Joni Mitchell. Um... And it's, it's just so well done. I'm so, I, I just love, love this, you know, love this album so much. And I totally agree that this is hers. This is Joni Mitchell at her, her peak, maybe. No, I didn't, I'm not going to say her peak. I don't want to get canceled, but maybe her peak. I don't know. Okay. Well, 
I want to take a sip of water for a second. Ah, that was delicious. Okay. And now, let's talk about the artwork. Oh, my God. So, I have been saying this since, I think, week one, possibly, that this is my favorite Joni Mitchell album cover, you know, hands down. Hands down. There's nothing like it. It was actually, um... It was actually on the list of Rolling Stones, like, top album covers. Oh, this is also... I should have talked about the critical reception. Shit. Tommy's always talking about that stuff. Um, the, uh, the critics liked this album. You know, they were like, okay. They li- I think that they liked it more than Hissing. But it kind of was, like, understated. And then slowly, over the years, of course, it's gotten rediscovered. And now it's, you know, in the top 500 Rolling Stones list at um, 133, I think. And it's, you know, suddenly it's... A legend. Pitchfork just gave it a 10 recently, and, you know, it is a 10, and so deserved, but, you know. Anyways, back to the artwork. So, um, the portrait of Joni in the front cover um, was taken by Norman Seif, who we always are talking about, and um, and it was taken um, in um, Madison, Wisconsin, on a lake after an ice storm, which is so, ugh, so fitting for the album. And um, also on the back cover, there's a finger skater. I don't know if anyone's ever noticed him, Toller Cranston, and he's doing a fun little position. And um, I've always just said that this album has such a this album cover is such a haunting, like windswept look to it. It's so like, I don't know. It's so so scapey, so so uh, scapey. Yeah, you know what I mean. And like how like the road image is fading into her black like coat that she's wearing, or you know, I don't even think that's a coat. It's more of like a shawl or something, a black you know thing like the road is fading into her with these smoky clouds and her hand holding a cigarette and she's wearing her infamous or famous black beret and it's just like and she's staring right at the viewer and I think this is really and it's oh it's and also photography it's not artwork but um I think you could really say that this album cover captures what this album like everything about this album really it it captures you know any I don't know, it captures all the themes that you could possibly think of when you think of this album. And I think it's just so, so beautiful. It like, it is just, you know, I don't know. It feels, I think you can tell that this album is going to be a travelogue just based on the front photo. Now, maybe that's just me. I don't know. You know, uh, (laughs) next episode, sadly, we're going to have to talk about a cover that, uh, you know, I think does the opposite about describing the album, but you know. Enjoy the small victories while we can, okay? <laughs> so, now, um, I think it's time to start the tracks of the album. Oh my goodness, yes! See, now I'm talking to my non-existent audience about this. Um, <laughs> me and the non-existent audience are really getting along so well. Um, So, the first song on this album, oh my gosh... It's finally time. It's here. We're ready. Are we ready? Here we are. And I will just open it by saying these three simple words. No regrets, coyote. (laughs) No? Anyone? No regrets, coyote. Coyote, track number one on Hygiera. Oh, my God. This is my favorite Joni Mitchell opening track. Um, And I also, I have the words... I have the words no regret no regrets coyote and a little coyote picture tattooed on my leg because I just I that's you know it's a great motto to live your life no regrets and be wild like a coyote like a trickster coyote um, <laughs> so this song is a uh, 
probably, probably written about Sam Shepard, allegedly. I don't, you know, it could be written by him. You know, I'm going to say yes, it was. And um, it, it was written during the Rolling Thunder tour. So this is kind of one of those Rolling Thunder uh, songs that I was talking about earlier. And um, actually, there is a super famous clip on the internet from the Rolling Thunder documentary of her and Bob Dylan, and I forget who the other guy is. Um, I don't remember who he was, playing the guitar, and Bob is playing, and she's playing, and they're all singing Coyote, because she's, like, still just written it, and it's fresh, and she's, you know, rocking out to it, and it's just oh, it's so good. I love the guitar in this song. It's absolutely amazing. It's in my favorite guitar tuning. I call it coyote tuning because that's, you know, the song she plays on it. But there's a lot of other, you know, songs you can play on this tuning. But I just, it's amazing. Oh, and the song is um, part one to the second. It has a sequel song, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. And, um, you know, they they blend really well, actually, if you kind of want to piece them together on your own, you know, free will. I'm not going to do that for you, but <laughs> it's something you can do. Um and it's just, it's an amazing song. It's kind of, I see this song as a song. Oh, see, how many times am I going to say the word song? I see this track as a description of, you know, behind the, behind the, it's kind of like the grittiness of love, of the road, of, you know, of touring. It's, you know, and you can tell right away, you're like a coyote on this traveling journey. And it opens up this whole album, which is going to be about traveling. And uh, it's just, it's awesome. I'm going to, some of the lyrics in this song, I absolutely love. I love some lyrics. You just picked up a hitcher, a prisoner of the white lines on the freeway. And, you know, obviously she's saying, like, I am a prisoner of the of the road. The road has taken control of me. And you're, you're kind of picking up that hitcher and, you know. No regrets, Coyote. He's the Coyote she's talking about. She's Joni always refers to herself as the bird, and I guess Sam Shepard to her is the is the Coyote. Later in the album, I think she'll compare. She compares herself to a black crow, or you know, she eventually compares herself to her last album. She compared herself to a sweet bird. Um, what else? She'll be a bird that whistles. <laughs> what is it with the birds, Joni? What is going on? Um, so many birds. Um, another. Um, part of the song that I really like is um, the riff in between each verse, like the If you listen to the intro of this album or of this podcast, you'll hear me try to play it on guitar as best as I can. But you know, again, it's as best as I can. <laughs> Don't expect a miracle, okay? I'm not Joni Mitchell. Um, Coyotes also, or I'm just going to call him Coyote. I know it's Sam Shepard, but I'm just going to keep calling him Coyote because it's very silly. Um, he has three other women, but, you know, for some reason, he still wants Joni. You know, he kind of, you know, he's this Coyote in uh, many other cultures means, you know, a trickster, a fool, a teacher. It can mean all sorts of things. And I think that, you know, this Coyote is a... Uh, a little bit of everything and he's peeking through keyholes and number doors where the players pick their wounds. And obviously I think that that whole verse is describing about the backstage of the rolling thunder tour, where she's talking about, you know, they need pills and powders to get them through a passion play. Um, you know, it's that exposing that grittiness. Like I was talking about of the fame, you know, pills and powders, you know, and obviously she's using Coke at this time and, you know, it makes sense why she would bring that up. 
Um, I always have loved, he picks up my scent on his fingers while he's watching the waitress's legs. He's, you know, she's really, she's bopping around at that part. Like, I love the way she says scent. Like, the animal descriptions there are just, I don't know, they're very interesting. And, you know, the songwriting alone is just, it's perfect. I can't, ugh, there's no, there's no other artist like Joni at this time. Actually, ever, but, you know, at this time specifically. Um, and, you know, I think by the end of the song, you just realize she's trying to run away from everything. This man, the road, the tour, you know, <laughs> she's just ready to fly away. Take her gorgeous wings and fly away. What song is that from? I'll let you think about that while I sip my drink really quick. <laughs> it's from last time I saw Richard, of course, obviously. If you listen to our Blue episode, then maybe you would you would recall you would be Cloud's illusions to recall. Um, oh, that's a perfect segue into our next song. Oh, my gosh. So, yes, that is Coyote. Um, I'm sure there's other things I could say about it, but, you know, it's just me, so I'm, you're only going to get so much. <laughs> that's my that's my actual, uh, that's my, what is it, precursor to everything on this review today? Yes, that's what I mean, precursor. <clears throat> okay, so let's go to track two. Um Arguably, mo a lot of people actually their favorite Joni Mitchell song. It's not my favorite Joni. I love this song. Don't get me wrong, but it's not you know my top top song. No, we'll get to that actually in a few songs. Um, but it's Amelia. Oh, oh my God, the heartbreaking. I think this is the saddest song on the album for sure. This is just oh my God, it's it's, it's gut wrenching really to go from such a fun song like Coyote into this was like. That was borderline cruelty, Joni. Like, <laughs> why did you do that? So Joni has said about the song, excuse me, I was thinking of Amelia Earhart and addressing from one solo pilot to the other, sort of reflecting on the cost of being a woman and something you must do. Ugh, I just, I love that. You know, she's driving in this, you know, barren desert scape and looking up at the six jet planes flying and thinking about, you know, Amelia Earhart, who's also solo traveled and then became lost, and Joni's solo traveling, and I think she feels lost. And um, I know Joni's really proud of the lyrics in the song, like the hexagram of the heavens, the string of my guitar. It comes from um, oh, what is it called? It's the uh, is it the Ajita? Maybe it's from a a text. I didn't write it down, but it's a very interesting line. And obviously, every verse she ends with the word false alarm. You know, Amelia, she talks to Amelia. Amelia, it was a false alarm, you know? And I I think she's really just saying that love is a false alarm, you know? It's like that every time she falls in love or sees love, she's suddenly hitting a false alarm or she has a false alarm. Like, there's doom in everything. And, she, and it's interesting that she is writing to Amelia Earhart. I mean, I understand why, but, like, she's saying, like, you know... I keep falling for all these false alarms. Um, actually, I you know I'm always quoting authors and not giving them their, their uh, what is it, their due. But I did write down the name of someone who wrote a quote about this song named Ron Rosenbaum. So Ron, if you're listening, I'm shouting you out right now. Who said about this song? True love is far more alarming than a false alarm. True love is truly alarming. Real danger. She is in some respects grateful it was a false alarm. For an independent spirit like Joni Mitchell, it may be better to have loved and lost than to have loved and won, which can be truly terrifying. Oh, oh my gosh. Did any, who else just cried? Did anyone else just cry when they read that? That was amazing description of the song. You know, 
she's, you know, her life in a way, she's, I think she really just describes the love's lost, the love's won, and just the, the alarms that it's brought. You know, this really isn't a song about anything but love, I think. It's about the doom of love, the fate of love, and um, reflecting on her journey to try to find it. You know, she says life becomes a travelogue, you know. Then your love becomes a travelogue. Who else likes my singing? <laughs> Who likes my singing, please? No. But, uh... I don't know. She has, I think her travel fever on this song is getting, is getting to her and she's feeling, feeling sick from the, you know, sadness of this song. It's probably about John Guerin, I think, actually, if I had to pinpoint it. Um, I really should talk about the music of this song. I haven't, I didn't talk about the music in Coyote. I really love the music in that as well. But this song has a haunting melody. It's haunting. It's really, it's very dark and the, just like the ba-da-da-da-da. Like, and her voice just sounds very, you know, it's raw. It has a really raw kind of, I don't know, this whole album sounds a lot more rock than a lot of her other stuff, but like soft rock. I don't know. Maybe jazz rock. I don't know. A lot, everything. Um, I love the line. It's so hard to obey his sad request of me to kindly stay away. Or people tell you where to go. They tell you, um, but till you get there yourself, you never really know. Ugh so amazing and also let's talk about how she references three of her songs on this album or on this track she says she mentions both sides now where she's talking about like you know um i spent my whole life in clouds at icy altitudes and then i guess it's two songs because she says clouds and then later she says she pulls into the cactus tree motel obviously referring to song to a seagull and i think that that's why this song is so amazing because it's like she's reflecting on her past you know she and so she mentions you know i spent my whole life in clouds i spent my whole life you know singing both sides you know in a way like both sides and i was talking about that like and there she says she's actually seen through clouds but i think Joni's realizing here with this maturity she really hasn't she's been in clouds the whole time and just never realized it which that's very heartbreaking if you think about it you know i don't know it's 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 uh hard realizations coming with maturity, but I, I don't know. I really, I really love it. Sorry. I keep saying, I don't know. I shouldn't say, shouldn't say that as much, but cause I do know, I do know what I mean. Um, also, uh, I would like to mention how she talks about the Echoes ascending, like the Echoes myth that alludes to kind of the tragedy of both Amelia Earhart and kind of doom, doomed love affairs, which, you know, of course the meta metaphorical sort of lyricism is just, killer you know breaks a breaks a heart in any any way and uh yeah i just i love amelia i think amelia is one of her best tracks it's a track that people always seem to cover always i always see like an amelia cover anywhere i go like to for joni tributes and stuff which you know makes sense i i love that uh yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna. I won't criticize. I won't be annoying like that. I'm not that annoying of a twink. Maybe, maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've never really loved. I guess that is the truth. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm being silly. I'm being so silly. Haha. Okay, well, now kind of time for a a silly haha song in a way. Um, <laughs> the next song we're talking about is "Furry Sings the Blues." And uh, this song, which is really her most jazz song, one of her most jazzy songs yet, 
is um, based on Joni's actual meeting with the blues legend Furry Lewis, who, um, you know, was a once legend in his time and then suddenly kind of started to lose, you know, fame over time, which happens, you know. And um, and it talks about how, because this is based on a real life meeting that Joni had with him that was very tense, very, uh, didn't go amazingly. And um, actually, he did not like this song. He said that, you know, kind of Joni was profiting off of him in a unfair way. And, um, you know, to set the scape, how do I set the scape for this song? It's, uh, you know, Joni's visiting him on Beale Street, which is in um, Tennessee. And she's visiting him on this famous street. And, watch, and while the street is being, you know, torn apart, here he is talking about the past heyday that no longer exists, the heyday of jazz and a... Uh, Neil Young's harmonica. Neil Young, oh yeah, Neil Young features on this song. His harmonica is like, oh, I. This is the first time I'm saying this this episode, but it was orgasmic. It was amazing. Like, it adds so much to this song. It truly. It adds something to this song that I just can't. Oh, I can't even describe it. Sets such a landscape to like era a vision in your head a visceral like vision that you really see and um Joni loves the song I have to admit she's always singing this song throughout her career she's I saw her do it in the 80s I'm sure she did in the 90s I know she did it in the late 2010s at um some concert she did in Toronto where she like spoke it basically and she's like oh Beale Street is coming down and she did mention that the second verse of this song is one of her favorite lyrics she's ever written, which is, um, it's, what is it? Like the pawn shops glitter like gold tooth caps and the gray decay. They chew the last few dollars off old Beale Street's carcass, carry on and mercy. Like, and that's amazing. Those lyrics are just absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Like so well done. You know, I, I, I couldn't think of anything better than that. It's just, it's incredible. Um, Oh, and I love in the first verse the aimed at the hot blood of being no one down and out in Memphis, Tennessee. Old Fury sings. I I always say Fury, but it's Fury, whatever. Um, no one, not like any of you cared, but you know, <laughs> you heard. Um, and she's, you know, I just love the imagery she creates on this song. Um, also she ta- she mentions some historical things. You know, she talks about the old Daisy Theater, which is gonna get torn down. Alleged, well, it was gonna get torn down, then it got preserved and made into. I think a blues museum actually. Um, and she does kind of a, a big yellow taxi callback where she says, you know, ghost history falls to parking lots and shopping malls, you know, cause the city's being torn about torn down and going to probably be gentrified into, you know, with a parking lot, you know, paving a once paradise. It's, you know, that theme, she really, she, she goes to that a lot in her whole entire career about, you know, the loss of nature changing, you know, what once was I, I she I, I don't know it's very interesting oh and this song is definitely a cool adding to that travelogue feature this is a cool character study you know travelogues tend to have characters that you meet up with this and the next song really have some cool character descriptions and some of the things she says about him on this are so interesting you know where he's he says I don't like you or uh what is that what else does he she say like uh he you know uh oh man it's escaping my mind in the first verse when she's like like he has a a trumpet in his hand and he's listening way back to the good old band and the click of high heeled shoes. Furry sings the blues, you know, 
Like she's sitting here listening to this legend hearken back to this heyday that no longer exists. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, kind of really depressing if you think about it. Like this old man that was once, you know, considered a great is now kind of lost to obscurity. But that's the sort of terrifying thing about art is that eventually you do become lost to obscurity. Happens, you know, to everything, you know. Even the most famous of people in their, like, once in their time will eventually kind of fade out. I don't know. Uh, and I, I I really love the last, the last verse where she, you know, she talks about how, like, you know, why should I expect him? What does she say? Like, why should I expect him? To, to, to? <laughs> I, I, this is how I try to hearken back the lyrics as I sing them in my head. I'm like, hmm. Like, while she's, she's in a limo, basically, and, um, you know, she's kind of in her fame, but he's sitting on some broken down porch, and she's sort of like, why should I expect him to give me anything when, you know, I'm in my limo and he's on his porch, and just like, you know, I think she has great empathy for him. I don't, I, I, I have never thought that this song was her making fun of him, or this song was her, like talking bad about him. I genuinely think she was just giving an accurate, you know, character study of this, you know, what happened. And I think she feels bad for him in a way because she sees what's happening. And in the, in the last verse, she really, she's talking about like hearkening back, like, and thinking back of like the, the like old days, you know, like she's thinking about, you know, all the past times. And then there's the old Daisy ballroom that's silent now waiting for a, crane to come tear it down you know and like the the ironies of what was once so amazing is now you know now a ghost town i don't know who's that guy that's saying my heart is a ghost do you guys know the song i'm talking about my heart is a ghost town hmm gays are are, are the gays aware of what song that is i don't know maybe maybe they are um, but yeah, I, I just, I love Furry Sings Blues. I love the harmonica on this song. It's, it's, oh, it's so good. And Joni's voice on this song is, I love the low jazz thing she's doing here. And again, the freedom in the music is so, so present here. You know, it has this jazz quality with like the gung, 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 gung. Yeah. Okay. That's not really, that's not uh, doing it well, but you know. You know what I mean. Um, and I love to do my Joni Mitchell voice work on this song, like the, I don't like you. So, she does, sometimes she adds lyrics to the song. Like when she does it live, she's like, I don't like you. I can play in standard tuning too. Or uh, I got a woman on Monday who shines up my shoes. My Tuesday woman gives me pleasure in the blues. I don't know. If you know, you know. You've seen some of those. Some of those she's <laughs> she's done. Um but yeah, I, I love Furry Sings the Blues. I think it's a great song. And um, I don't know. I don't understand why he didn't like this depiction of him. Because I really didn't think... Or why um, Furry Lewis didn't like the depiction of him. Because I actually really don't think it was an unfair portrait. But then again, I don't think people... I don't think, you know, people always like hearing themselves be written about in songs. Like uh, David Geffen didn't like Free Man in Paris, you know. Because I think it, he realized it was going to let people know he was gay. But that's, that's a whole other point. David Geffen and his... Little Twink Boys. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get canceled for that one. Um, please don't sue me, David Gavin. I don't, I can't afford that. Okay. So that was Furry Sings the Blues. Um, are we all still alive? Wake up. <laughs> we're, we're still here. Yes. Um, oh, I love talking about this album. Okay. 
Now let's go to track number four, which is actually one of the tracks on this album that I originally was not a huge fan of. Now, obviously, now I love every single song in this album so much, but I didn't actually love this song in the beginning, Um, which is a strange, strange boy. A strange boy is waving. Um, and it's basically, it's a song Joni wrote, you know, uh, this is the second character study um, about one of the men she was traveling with from um, L.A. to Maine, who was a flight attendant in his 30s. And he, he lived with his parents. And, you know, this song is a great, I didn't realize this actually until I was doing my re-listening, but this song truly is a great description of like, because Joni's coming into maturity here. She's hitting her 30s. And, you know, once you're in your 30s, you are no longer a child. But I think this song deals with the, like, the grappling reality of that you have to grow up. And, like, why grow up? What is the point of growing up when the world is so effed up, fucked up? I don't know. And I think that that's kind of what this song is about. Like, the, I don't know, the problems with growing up. And, uh, I don't know. It has the music. I'll start with the music. Um. Because actually, that's one of the things I actually should have said at the beginning is that the music on this album is amazing, but I think I'm going to focus a lot more on the lyrics just in general because this is, I think, my favorite Joni lyricism. So if I don't talk much about the music, that's why. But um, the music on this song is great. There's actually some cool, like, a very silent drumming in the background if you, like, listen closely, which I really liked. And obviously the guitar riff is cool. I love the part where it's, like, the chord changes for, like, what a strange, strange boy still lives with his family. And then it goes into a whole nother direction. And it's like, even the war and the Navy couldn't bring it. Like that whole chorus is so cool. And I like that line. Even the war and the Navy couldn't bring him to maturity. You know, he's refusing to grow up no matter what he does. Like the adult things he does, quote unquote, he's refusing to grow up. You know, that like they, none of those things could even bring him to maturity. And he's questioning why grow up, you know grow up like Joni says grow up and he said give me one good reason why 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 grow up you know because he sees the world in just a different viewpoint he sees the cars as sets of waves he sees things as sequences of mass and space and most certainly he sees the damage in Joni's face (laughs) wow okay you know what that rhyme right there I need like a Pulitzer for that one um (laughs) anyone no I I was pretty impressed with that um but it's true, this this strange boy, and I, I think it's interesting she calls it a strange boy, kind of way harsh, but, you know, uh, it's interesting because, you know, he is just, he doesn't see the world like all the other people that are finally growing up in their 30s, and like or like Joni, you know, she's finally growing up, but he doesn't want to because he sees the world differently. He sees why grow up. Personally, I think it's kind of about those people that were just so done with, you know, the world actually I would relate this now so much to people today like people in my generation you know I think we all are like this world is so fucked up why do I want to go out and get a job and start a life when like everything is so expensive you know there's chaos and violence everywhere we go you know like it's just so effed up like I think that this song really resonates with people in my generation I could totally see that and you know maybe it's everyone but I don't know I really I got what he was saying you know um, I thought I, I was a little confused by the final, I gave him clothes and jewelry. I gave him my warm body. I gave him power over me. I don't, I, I guess she's saying like she gave him everything, but he still didn't want to grow up. Maybe. I don't know. And then obviously she does some cool metaphors like sweet chords rose up in wax new England halls. Um, which I think I always just love how that line line sounds like it's very cool. And then, uh, 
Um, the final verse, we were newly lovers then. We were fire in the stiff blue-haired house rules. I looked it up, and apparently that line is saying that, like, because they were, like, lovers without dating for a long time, like, they had sex without dating for a long time, they were breaking, you know, the social rules. Like, they were fire to the social norms, which I think I didn't... I never realized that that's what she was trying to say, but allegedly that is what she was trying to say so you know very interesting but uh yeah i don't know a strange boy is definitely an interesting portrait i would i would recommend going back and listening to it because i think you'll find there's a lot of complexities that you don't even think about that are you know very interesting i don't know like i i really i got both points of view i got Joni's frustration with him of why why won't you just grow up but i got his i've understood his side of you know give me one good reason why why should i grow up and i don't want to get you know, on a soapbox, but I I question why people should even grow up these days, but, you know, it is what it is. Okay, <laughs> so um, now let us end on the final track of uh, side one, because there's two sides of this album, and that track is, you know, the drum roll, please, one second. Mm. I'm drinking a very delicious drink right now. That track is Hygiera, the title track. Boom, ba dun dun, boom, ba dun dun. <laughs> Who else is seeing the snow coming in? Dun, 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 dun. So I have to say that this song has some of my favorite music on this album. Jocko's bass on here is fucking epic. It's like a fretless bass that just creates this huge snowscape, windswept. It, like, this fits the album cover so well, and you feel. The the beginning ominous opening chords, like the gunga gunga, that part, it almost is like you feel like you're driving and you're on this road like that's never ending. Like and you're just like going, you know, and she says, I'm traveling in some vehicle. I'm sitting in some cafe. She's going through all these places and it's oh she's escaping. It's a beautiful song about escape. I oh, I'm so I love it. It's such a wintry vibe this whole album is such a winter vibe i really it really is it's kind of hard to listen to it in this summer weather currently but you know whatever um and she's the song is it's sad it's you know she's porous with travel fever but then there's moments where she's confident in this she's saying you know but i'm glad i'm on my own you know she she contradicts herself in a way sometimes you know there's a disillusionment with everything around her but then there's a then there's like a freedom and being on the road, you know, and at the end she'll talk about being a refuge of the road. And this song really fits that vibe. I actually, a side note story. Um, I, one time I was, it was earlier. Um, was it this winter or last winter? I was outside. Oh, it was this most recent winter. And I was outside walking and uh, it was late at night and the snow was like sweeping down on my campus that I was walking around. And it was just, and I had this song playing on my, and my AirPods, and I just remember feeling like it just transported me to another world, you know? It's just, ugh. And the words on this song are beautiful. Oh my God, they're so good. Like, I'm not gonna go, I could just literally recite the whole song, but some of the lines I will say that I really love are, um, there's a comfort in melancholy, which is true. There is a comfort in melancholy. I totally, I won't go into fully what that means, but I think you can figure it out. Um, or when she talks about there's a man and a woman there and like sitting on a rock, they're either going to thaw out or freeze. Holy shit. Like, Oh, it's so good. They're either going to thaw out or freeze. They're either going to stay together 
or, you know, it's going to freeze up and die, which is just like, it's such an amazing, amazing poetic way to describe relationships. And, and then she becomes so immersed in this, in this travel, so immersed that she, she's, she looks out at the audience and says, or, you know, my, the, whatever audience she's singing to and says, like, listen, strands of Benny Goodman coming through the snow and the pine wood trees. Like, it's so, the landscape is becoming so surreal and immersive to her that she can hear Benny Goodman, who's a um, jazz artist from the early, I think it was the 20s, um, like, playing through the pine wood trees. And it's just like, oh. She changes that up. Actually, sometimes she'll say, like, who does she say? Sounds like Miles Davis. I've heard her do. Or she said, um, does she say sounds like Jocko? No. It sounds like uh, Michael Brecker. Yeah, she's just Michael Brecker. She's always going through different people. But, you know, it's such a cool line. Um, and then in that a third verse, she talks about, you know, looking at the granite markers, the signals of, you know, death or being forgotten. And, like, she's, I think she's, like, exploring all these complex feelings. It's very much, like, blue in the sense that she's, becoming very introspective with her feelings and thinking about things. And it's just, I love it. I love it. And then, you know, in the church, they light the candles and the wax rolls down like tears. How, like who thinks of that? That's, that's crazy behavior. Maybe it's all the Coke that made her think in such vivid. (laughs) Okay. Actually, you know what? I'm talking about how like amazing her lyricism is and her free verse poetry on this album. And literally, like, maybe it was the Coke, you know. Well, she stopped doing this after, because she said, um, who was it, Neil Young or someone started trying, or Paul Simon. Paul Simon tried, started imitating me. And so I said, whoa, whoa was the imitator. And then, you know, obviously she (laughs) stopped doing it. Um, (laughs) She's crazy for that as well. Um, And I just, I don't know, I love it. Or, you know, white flags on winter chimneys, you know, waving truce against the moon in the mirrors of a modern bank from a window of a hotel room. Oh, so good. And, um, but the final verse, you know, she's traveling, traveling, traveling in this solo kind of vibe. She concludes with, um, until love, she's traveling until love sucks her back that way. Love one day, I think will suck her back into the real world. But for now she's on this, you know, travel fever escaping from everything. And I, 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 you know, and on, on like, and if you think about on blue, she says, you know, I'm traveling, 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 looking for something. What can it be? And here it's even more present. You know, I'm traveling in some vehicle, sitting in some cafe. She's just like, she's traveling to find something. I think that's a thing through her whole career. She's traveling to find something, but isn't sure what that something is. And you could say that that's just from this trip or from like vacationing or traveling but also, couldn't you say that that, in a way, is life? Life is about traveling and looking for something that, you know, you don't actually, you're not sure what it is, but you're traveling to find it. I, I mean, I feel that way. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm always searching for something that I don't know what I truly want. And I have a travel fever, you know, that is so immense, but I don't know why. I I, I understand exactly what she's saying. You know, it's, it's I don't know, I, it makes a lot of sense to me personally. But, um, yes, that's Hajira, the beautiful, like, the music is amazing, Jocko is amazing, uh, it's just, it's an, the words are amazing, it's, it's just an incredible song, incredible song. 
So now I'm going to take a slight pause to give my voice a five, you know, a little bit of a rest. And when I come back after this little break, we're going to review side B of Hygiera and get into my favorite track of all time by Joni Mitchell. Ah, song for Sharon. Yes. And we are back. We are back. We are we're fully back. Yes. <laughs> so exciting after that little break. And we are at my favorite Joni Mitchell song of all time on this out, al- which comes from this album, which is my favorite Joni Mitchell album. Isn't that crazy that they line up like that? I know things are just wild. So the song, of course, is Song for Sharon, which is a epic 10 verse song. Written on a cocaine-fueled <laughs> frenzy. That is confirmed. That is confirmed that this song was written on coke. That is not me just being silly. That is confirmed. And it is written as a letter to Joni's friend, Sharon Bell, or old friend, Sharon Bell, back from home, from her hometown in Canada. And this song is just, it's incredible. The lyricism is absolutely brilliant. And I will say the music in this song is really amazing too. Don't get me wrong, but the lyrics overpower it for sure. And just, you can't help but listen to it. You know, the the word she's coming up with, the story she's telling. And I call it an epic because it is an epic. This is, this is truly an epic. I could have, you know, I had originally thought maybe I should do an entire podcast episode just about this song, but I didn't want to bore everyone too much with that. So... Here we are. I'll try to condense my love for this song as much as possible, but um, where do I even begin? I guess I'll start with, you know, the story starts with her going to Staten Island to get a mandolin. And I won't go through every verse like this, but I, I promise. But I'm just going to go through the story very fast. And she sees a long wedding dress in a storefront mannequin and seeing this long wedding dress slowly begins to fill her head with ideas about her past, her present, her future and everything she's chased, wanted, gotten, not gotten. And I think it reminds her a lot of her childhood and that might be why it's written to Sharon in a way. Well, it wasn't actually written to Sharon, but you know, metaphorically. And, um, (laughs) So the second verse is when I think the lyrics start getting really cool. You know, shine your light on me, Miss Liberty. Because as soon as, you know, this ferry boat docks, I'm headed to the church to play bingo, fleece me with a gambler's flocks. I mean, that's immaculate. That is immaculate writing right there. Maybe I kind of want to get, who thinks I should get that tattooed on me? Shine your light on me. Yeah, uh, it's a little long, but you know, maybe. Okay. (laughs) I'm going crazy over the song because I love it. So... You know, she starts going through things, talking about keeping her cool at poker and all these really interesting stories and monologues. And then, you know, she she talks about leaving her man at a North Dakota junction, who I think that that man talking about is John Guerin, I'm pretty sure. Um, and she comes to the Big Apple to face the dreams malfunction and then talks about, you know, love is a danger that she thinks she's accustomed to. But, you know, I don't know. I she says she can accept the changes better than she used to, but I don't know. I mean, I know this song is about, I know this whole album has maturity written all over it, but in a way, can she? I don't know. Maybe. Um. Then the second side of the album, or the, oh my God, my mind, my loopy mind. 
The second side of this song goes into uh, the suicide of Phyllis Major, you know, a woman she knew who was married to Jackson Brown. And if you know anything about Judy Mitchell, you know that her and Jackson Brown's relationship was not good and not to blame. And Turbulent Indigo has written about his alleged abuse that he had um, against Phyllis Major, who was a model. There's a it's a touchy subject. And Joni sort of talks about, I don't know, I think that seeing someone kill themselves kind of gives a lot of reflection into her own life. Then, you know, she goes into, you know, her own life talking about, you know, marriage and her family telling her to fulfill her life with charity when all she really wants to do is find another lover. And I I get such a serotonin boost when she's like, all I really want to do right now is find another lover. If you listen to the 80s version of the song, like the hard rock version, where it's like, da, 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 da. She's, the way she sings that line, she's like, find another lover. She like growls it. It's, ugh. And I think she's referring to sex, actually. I think that sex is kind of a really big theme for this album a little bit. But whatever, that's another thing. You know, because she says love stimulated her illusions more than anything. And I mean, that's, you know, that's that's probably what she's referring to. But I don't know. I don't don't know for sure. Anyways. (laughs) So, um... Then she kind of talks about, about, you know, she's chased fulfilling the American dream. She's chased marriage her whole entire life. You know, she used to watch the pretty lady in the white lace gown, you know, and goes back to that first verse again. I also, what the hell is the line, mama's an island underneath my cowgirl jeans? I don't know what the fuck that's talking about, but I literally, it's so funny to me. I don't know. And then, you know. First you get the kisses, then you get the tears talking about, you know, first you get love, then you get heartbreak. And she's just, uh, it's just her analysis of the human experience, or at least her experience is so fascinating. I, I love hearing her talk about life in this way. Um, the, the, this lyric that I'm about to read in this vigorous anonymity, a blank face at the window stairs, Joni, I saw in an interview late in her career, I think it was from 2013 was said that that lyric right there was like, definitely exposing how how she was writing in such a free verse way and how you know intense the free verse poetry got got as something as complex as that which i love and then um i'm just gonna read the final verse of this song because i actually you know i've decided that if i'm gonna get any verse written on my body it's gonna be this first from the song so i'll read it and then i'll talk a little bit about it so Sharon, she, you know, goes back to mentioning Sharon. Sharon, you got a husband, a family, and a farm. I got the apple of temptation and a diamond snake around my arm. You still have your music. I still have my eyes on the land and the sky. You sing for your friends and your family. I'll walk green pastures by and by. (laughs) Explosions! Oh my god! It's so good. Mm. And it harkens back to Joni's love of the Garden of Eden and, you know, women having the apple of temptation. And, you know, she's saying, Sharon, you have your life. You have the life that I have the life that you wanted. You wanted to be a singer, but you got married and had the life that I wanted. I wanted to be on the farm. And, you know, talking about that parallel. But instead, you know, you're married and I'm I have a diamond snake around my arm of temptation and I'm going to walk green pastures by and by. And that's fucking epic to end an epic fucking song. I, there's so much I could say about this song, but you know, I don't want to go too, 
I don't want to get too into it because it's just going to be me obsessing over it. But this really is my my favorite Joni Mitchell song of all time. I truly love I, – I, I truly can't – I don't know. The lyricism is unparalleled. It's truly unparalleled. And even the music, as I know it's just the same, like, uh, melody repeating over and over again. It's a beautiful melody. So, you know, do with that what you will, I guess. But yes, Song for Sharon is just, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant song. And now we'll go to the next song, which is kind of a interesting, uh, how would I describe it? It's, it's, it's the most rock song on this album. It has a, uh, it opens with a kind of like a revving motion. And it's almost like the tires are treading and they're going on this road. Because this whole song, oh, the song is Black Crow. And it's all about, you know, this song really is about travel fever and its negatives of traveling so long that she's, you know, she doesn't even remember home at this point. She is, you know, fucking exhausted. She feels like a, a black crow, you know, flying in the sky because black crows symbolize freedom, you know, and she's seeing that herself is this black crow that's fr- black crow that's flying freely across, you know, I guess the United States, maybe the world. And basically I think, this song really describes that while traveling is something that's freeing for her, it's also something that's exhausting. You know, she looks at her haggard face in the bathroom light. She's just very, I think she's very tired and she just wants some clarity, something. I think that that constant searching for something might actually end up damaging you in a way. (laughs) I love that she to not, not only, you know, do the other lyrics in this song describe about being tired from traveling. Then she just decides at one point to go, I'm going to list every way that I traveled. I took a ferry to a highway. Then I drove to a pontoon plane. Then I took a plane to a taxi and then a taxi unto a train. Like, I mean, she just goes like 300 million billion different places. And it's just like, it's, I just, I don't know. I'm obsessed with it. So yeah, I just, I, 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 I don't know. I really love, Black Crow is a cool song. And um, it's just, it's very interesting. I don't know. You know, I, I, it's, you know, it really exposes kind of the darker side of things. In search of love and music, my whole life has been illumination, corruption, and diving. Like, she's, <laughs> she's fucking exhausted at this point. And this song really expresses it so well. And the music is great. The, the guitar kind of, there's a guitar break where she does all this vocalizing, you know, she's always doing these vocalization breaks where she's, Oh, she's like, Oh, oh can I, <laughs> okay. Let's see Ryan attempt this. She's like, Oh, oh I'm like a black crow. Okay. Whatever. I promise I'm a better singer than that. Um, but yeah, black crow is a very, very cool song. Um, I don't have too much to say about it though, but yes, it's, it's a, it's a great song. And now let's go to the next song, which is to, Relay a Strange Boy, this is another one of the songs that I originally didn't stand out much to me, but looking back on it, now I actually really do like this song a lot more than I than I used to, and this is such a relaxed, finally, after the bl- intensity of Black Crow and traveling and exhaustion and all that things, suddenly she finds a little bit of solace in a blue motel room, and it was actually written um, in Savannah, Georgia at the DeSoto Beach Motel. Well, it, you know, it's pouring rain outside. And this song, she's kind of talking. I think she's like writing probably to John Garrett again and talking about how, you know, it's weird because this whole album, she's sad about the relationship ending. But then on this song, she's saying, you know, I still want you, though. 
I want you to tell those girls that you have measles so they don't want you. And so you just come back to me. And, you know, she's sitting in this blue motel room. Like, everything around her is blue. Her motel room, her bedspread, her head. But, you know, in order to relinquish those blues, I think it's even the travel fever blues, like, will you come home? Which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of cute in a way, actually. So I, I it's a it's a really, really cool song. Um, I love the music in this song. It's so relaxed. And the part, excuse me, the part where she's like, you know, da, 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 very Mingus, very like Mingusy, which would it be? <laughs> um, vibes going on, which I, I really love. Um, and I love the way she sings. She very flirty, actually, on this song, Fir- flirty and funny in a way. I love she sings, will you still love me when I get back to town? Like that's the way she sings. It has such, it's like a very, like a sadness, but also like a coyness, like a will you, I don't know, like batting her eyes. I could see her laying on her bed, batting her eyes, calling him on the telephone. I don't know. I love it. And um, what about, let's just talk about the part where she literally just talks about the Cold War and she compares her relationship to the Cold War. She says, you and me. We're like America and Russia. We're always keeping score. We're always balancing the power, and that can get to be a cold war. What? <laughs> I, just, I just can't help but die laughing when I hear those lyrics. I mean, it's really, it's so, like, clever, but it's just like, what makes her think that she and him are like America and Russia? I, I don't know. Or when she says, tell the girls that you've got Joni. She's coming back home. Like, it's she's like, oh, she was so silly for this song. I literally love it. Like, even though it's kind of sad and it's this jazzy, like, you know, she's singing so kind of, like, I don't know, very stormy weather in a way. I guess maybe she talks about here in Savannah, it's pouring rain. Kind of like maybe she's referring to like that, you know, Alina Horn stormy weather kind of vibe. But I, I just, oh, I love this song. And I've really grown to love it, like, I don't know, over, over the years, it sounds like I'm like so old, but I, 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 I'm losing my train of thought, but yes, I love Blue Motel Room. It's a great song. And I, this is another one, Strange Boy in this one, I recommend truly going back and listening to it. Cause I think you'll find, oh, how would I describe it? I think you'll find a lot of things in it that you wouldn't initially think about when you go back and look at it. And I, I don't know. I really love this song. So... Now we are on our final track. Oh my God, no, I'm so sad. But the final track of this album is just, I mean, it, it it's just amazing. It's an amazing song. It's a song Joni loves. All, all these songs, actually, I think Joni loves so much because she sings this song a lot throughout her career. I love her version of this in the 90s on an acoustic guitar just her and it sounds really really cool um this song is so fucking hard to play on guitar oh my god you guys you guys wouldn't even know i don't well maybe you would i don't know (laughs) i don't know how much guitar my the viewers are listening or playing here but um yes the song is refuge the roads you know i actually kind of spent all my first year of college calling myself i've called myself all year uh, a refuge of the roads because that's how i feel sometimes actually and it's just oh it's a brilliant song Allegedly, it was about a three-day visit she had um, with her, with this um, Buddhist meditator master named um, Chogayam Trungpa. 
I definitely said that wrong. And I'm really sorry if any, I, yeah, that was definitely said wrong. I probably sound like a really more big moron right there. Um, if anyone would like to help me with my, with my pronunciation, please let me know. Um, in Colorado on our way back to Los Angeles. And, um, according to Joni, during this visit, he cured her addiction of cocaine and he kind of like inspired her onto a different path. And, um, I, I I think that this song really is a very hope. I don't want to say hopeful, but it's a it's a kind of different way of looking at the road than how she started this album. Uh, at the beginning, in Coyote, she's seeing the road is rough and full of drugs and sex and da da da. But this song, I think she finds some sort of solace in the ride that she's been on. You know, like she's taken refuge in the road and she's suddenly, you know. I think she's getting a lot more realization throughout the song. And I, it's a really beautiful song, you know, it's, it's hopeful, but it's heartbreaking. And the, Oh my God, the, the music in it is just brilliant. And each verse I feel moves her, moves her like more and more. She's moving across the road. Then she's moving across the United States. And then the final verse, she talks about, you know, this, a space, a spaceship taking a picture of the earth from the moon. And it's like, cause there was like a famous photo released of, of that in like the 19 set early 1970s. And like, I think that that puts that final verse talking about, you know, you couldn't see if a city or a Marvel bowling ball or, you know, couldn't see, what is it? You know, couldn't see these cold water. Be- oh, okay. I'll say it better. You can see these cold water restrooms of these baggage overloads, westbound and rolling, taking refuge of the roads. I love that. Like she's saying like, you know, while her problems are important to her, you know, looking at a bigger picture, you know, there's something even more going on, you know, like, you know, like she's part of one big unified search for a higher thing. I don't know. At least that's what I've always thought of it as. And I love the, a thunderhead of judgment was gathering in my gaze. Like that's a very cool line. Or what about, um, when Joni compares herself to a white ass deer like she, I think she basically is saying I was on a wrong path, and then like a white ass deer, I, <laughs> I ran to lose the blues. Like that's, I love that. Like running like a white ass deer, you would, you would run like a white ass deer, Joni. Um, people have said I look like a deer. I'll let the silence be a descriptor of that. <laughs> and then, um, I also love her. You know, Joni loves art, and I love art, and I love her. These are the clouds of Michelangelo, muscular with gods and sun rolled sign on your witness, taking refuge of the roads. I love that. That's a beautiful, beautiful. It's kind of, you know, she says, shine your light on me, Miss Liberty and song for Sharon. And here she's asking another higher iconic figure like Michelangelo's, you know, muscular figures to shine upon her, shine upon your witness, taking who's taking refuge in the roads. You know, and there's a lot of actually, I think there's a lot of things you could pull out of this song specifically about, you know, what does that mean to be a refuge of the roads? Is it a bad thing or is it uh, something that's healing her? I don't know. I think it's doing everything. I think that this whole journey, because, you know, it's the final song, we'll kind of close it up a little bit more. But this whole journey she's been on, she's been trying to find something. And maybe by the end, she's realizing that, you know, no matter what, there's something larger that she'll just never be able to fully capture. And I think that's why she talks about like, 
you couldn't see me on this photograph of the moon. You couldn't see anything. You could just see the earth and this like larger being outside of, you know, the road that she's been on. And I, I, I love that. And I think she's somewhat hopeful, but in a contemplative way, which, you know, I was going to say she explores in her next album, but she doesn't really explore that in the next album. The next album is like a whole nother fucking set of can of worms to open up, but <laughs> which we will get to. I, yeah. Um, and I just love, Oh, I also need to mention how at the end of the song, she's, uh, it builds taking refuge. And instead of just like ending fast, like, Oh, the roads, it's refuge. And then you hear, and like builds of the roads. And then it finally, ah, there's, you know, there's a, a build and then finally a resolution and then a beautiful, the chords at the end of the song are gorgeous. Sorry. I could talk about like chord progressions with Joni's music for years on end, but the guitar in the song is great. This whole album, the guitars like are just brilliant. Jocko's bass is brilliant. Um, and the shadows and light versions of these songs are immaculate. Um, that'll be in what? Three, three albums. Yeah. That'll be our, the third. Cause we're in the Jocko years now, actually. I should have said at the beginning, like the Jocko era, which is this through shadows and light. And then we'll obviously start anew in the eighties with wild things run fast, but that's, whole nother thing. So that is in a short nutshell. <laughs> it's always at the end where you're like, so in a, in a fast way, that is Hygiera. Um, <laughs> but that is, that's kind of, you know, those are my thoughts on it. Um, I'm sure, um, Tommy would have some very interesting ones as well. I'm sad he wasn't able to join us this week, but, um, I'm just so, I love this album so much. It deserves all of the praise it gets it. Every time I listen to it, I get sent into a whole nother, world of the road and the winter and it's just it's a, it's an album about you know self-contemplation about love about life i don't know it's it's a it's joni at her most mature um so far at her most um i don't know descriptive the language is just the free verse poetry and the language is just it's stunning it's it's I, there's not another album like it truly. There's really just isn't. Um, and so at the end of every episode, we always do a rating. And since it's just me this week, well, it'll just be my rating. But, um, I of course give this album a 10 out of 10. I wish I could give it a 5 million out of 10. It's, it's perfect. It, it is a hundred percent perfect. There's nothing I would change. Um, my favorite song, of course, is song for Sharon. No doubt about it. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I actually, I, my, you know, we always list our least favorite song, but I am breaking that rule for this week and I am not picking a least favorite song because I have no least favorite song. I love every single song on this album incredibly. And it's just, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Joni really, I th I think that this is really Joni at her best, you know, and, and artists do amazing work. Like she'll be at her best again in Turbulent Indigo, but for now this is really this is a killer time in her career. And uh, this album is amazing. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Um, so yeah, that's all I think I have to say this week about Hajira. Um, and obviously next time we'll be going into Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. But um, I really appreciate everyone for listening this week for my me by myself. I know it probably wasn't as uh, engaging as usual, but you know, you make the best of what it is um, <laughs> on my solo travel. 
But um, yes, thank you all so much for listening. Um, again, I really appreciate all the feedback that I hear from people. It's it, it really inspires. I think it inspires both of us to really go along. So you know, leave us you know a rating or review or whatever. Message us and you know tell us what you think. I really love hearing from you guys. Um, but thank you so much, and um, we will be back next time hopefully with Tommy doing. Don Juan's reckless daughter. Yes. <laughs> oh, eek, yike. Oh my God, what's going on? But yes, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye.